Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Starting a family is undoubtedly an exciting time. But the reality of seeing a positive pregnancy test can send even the most laid-back woman into a spiral of sleepless nights. Trust me, I've been there. We're here to tackle the conundrums that keep many mums-to-be, just like me, awake at night when they find out their life is about to change forever. Hello and welcome to Baby on the Brain, a podcast brought to you by Stylist Magazine, dedicated to the big life questions you face when you find out you're pregnant. My name is Fliss, I'm the digital executive editor at Stylist and I'm pregnant with my first child. I am well into my third trimester now and my baby woke me up at 4am this morning with hiccups and I genuinely thought the sleepless nights started after they were born. But... Every week I'm joined by a different co-host and today I'd like to introduce Grace Holiday. Grace is a freelance journalist, travel writer and journalism lecturer based in Leeds. She's a proud northerner woo, and is pregnant with her first child. Together we're going to be tackling the big questions about money because when you're pregnant everything seems to change from 250 pound breast pumps to taking time off for maternity leave. Welcome Grace, thank you so much for joining us on Baby on the Brain today and a million congratulations on your pregnancy. How far along are you? Thank you so much, I am 21 weeks tomorrow. Oh that's a really lovely, very lovely stage to be in. Um, how are you finding it? Um, the first trimester was not very nice, um, oh. <laughs> but um, it kind of improved from about week 16. So I think I'm in the, the nice honeymoon period right now. Whenever I wake up in the morning and don't feel sick, I just try and enjoy the day um, and, and make the most of, of, of being able to get work done and get housework done and, and, and that kind of thing. Oh, I feel for you with the sickness. I am now... I'll be 36 weeks on Thursday, but I've kind of lost count and it doesn't, it almost doesn't mean anything to me anymore because I'm just so round and everything hurts. So rolling over in bed now is like, it was a, it was a big deal before. And now it, I'm like, Aaron, can you push me? Because I actually can't get over and I need to get up to go to the toilet or get up and let the cat out. Yeah, I'm at the stage where I'm clicking all the time. Like if I bend oh. ever so slightly over and stand back up again, my whole spine clicks, which is just not, <laughs> not ideal. Oh no, that's not good. Um, so today we're here to discuss money and it's difficult to talk about under normal circumstances, um, especially as British people and we really need to get over that. Um, but throw in the emotional turmoil of being pregnant and motherhood and it just seems to be a whole another level of madness um and I'm not just talking about the price of things which has blown my mind this week now we're allowed to go to shops I'm actually finally buying acknowledging I'm having a child 
in four weeks time and having to buy things so she can survive like um, somewhere to sleep and maybe an outfit. Um, and looking into my NCT classes currently um, talking about the latest one I did was feeding, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, there are a lot of different varieties of things out there and it's very overwhelming in John Lewis. Let me tell you that. The shelves are full. I literally had a person, a personal shopping. It was free. <gasps> a personal shopping appointment in Mamas and Papas yesterday. And I was literally just stood there going, taking in all the information and going, I'm just going to buy these online when I get home because I absolutely, <laughs> these prices are ridiculous. I can't believe how the jump between like a manual breast pump to an electric breast pump is just insane. Um, I would never have thought you had to spend like 150, 70 pounds on something like that. There's there's a real snazzy one um, that I've had. I keep being served as an advert on Facebook. Is it the LV? I wasn't going to say which one it was, <laughs> but it sits in your bra. And I don't know, I, I never having breastfed before, I'm not sure if you have to have one or two. And um, And I'm very aware I'm doing hand actions right now, so apologies. But... To get two, it's 500 pounds. I've had a car for 500 quid before. Yeah. I've, I just, anyway, the money aside, because you could spend as much as you want or need to, and really a baby doesn't need much. You know, I think, is it in Denmark where you get a, a, a box for your baby to sleep in, which reduces SIDS, the risk of SIDS. Um, but also actually it's the impact on a woman's life because you are the one taking maternity leave if you are lucky enough to have maternity leave um you are the one considering taking a year out of your career you are the one possibly thinking when you go back you won't go back full time and actually the the other scary thing that Aaron and I have started looking into is nursery so I want to go back full time <laughs> it is so expensive to put your child into nursery um and that's if you just have one Mm. So is it something you thought about when you got pregnant, when you found out you were pregnant? So I went self-employed nearly six years ago. Um, and I love being self-employed. I wouldn't, at the moment, at this stage of my life, I wouldn't have it any other way. But I, I, what you're saying there is it's, it's almost the exact same thing, but flipped on its head. So it, I, I feel like I should not worry I feel like people are like, oh, well, you're self-employed, so you can just stay at home with the baby or the kid and, and work. And that's just not that's just not the case. I don't get anything done when my cat is in the room, let alone like a living, <laughs> breathing child. Um, yeah, we have a lovely, lovely nursery just down the road from us. Um, and it, it's it, they teach the children two languages from like as soon as they start. They teach them French as well wow. as the, with the French and something else, I think. So I've already looked into that and I'm specifically not looking at the price because I'm just like, <laughs> that's where they're going to go because it's like one of these modern like teach languages yeah. and teach about inclusivity and stuff like that. But I just... At the moment, I'm in, in a little bit of denial about that kind of thing. Um, and I do wonder whether or not I might have to have them home more than I would have done had I gone back to an office, mm. purely because I can. But then I wonder what that's going to do to even just the quality of my work, like whether or not yeah. I'm going to be able to concentrate, whether or not I'm going to hesitate if people come to me and say, will you do this piece of work, whether or not I'm even going to be capable of, of doing that with you know, a one-year-old or a two-year-old or a three-year-old in the house. So are you thinking when after you've had the baby after a certain amount of time you would go back full time? So my plan at the moment which people keep saying to me you won't you won't you won't and I'm like okay well you're not self-employed and 
you're not in my financial position so you can't comment on that I keep saying to people that I would really like to go back so the baby's due at the start of September and I would really like to go back to work one day a week or half a day in January which is very early I'm aware that that's very early I know that a lot of people take a whole year off I would love to take a year off but Mm. I can't see that happening firstly because well where's the money going to come from I don't have maternity leave I've obviously got the government support but that's minimal but then I also want to go back to work because I don't want to lose my place in the game as it were Mm. I don't want to lose all my contacts and the people that I know who will give me work and will reply to my emails when I pitch them and when I send them ideas and that kind of thing Um, and in the academic space as well because I, I I, I lecture at a university I don't want to take a full academic year out of a university so obviously I can't go back and teach in September so I really need to go back and do half a day or a day in January or I'm going to lose a whole year there and all of the kind of contacts and the knowing the students and that kind of thing that comes Mm. with that so for me I just I, I don't I see it as a I have to go back in January in some capacity whether I want to or not and whether I'm ready to or not yeah but it's an interesting wasn't it isn't it because um I suppose I come at this from a point of of privilege and acknowledging that I have a full-time job um and actually the maternity package is good and Mm. I'm I feel very lucky that I'm in this position um but the reason for me wanting to go back full-time is because I have always been very aware of safeguarding my future and looking after my pension Mm. and I don't want to be left with a big hole when I'm 70 or 80 by the time this government gets us working till we're you know very old um so it's just it's it's a really funny one isn't it and also I am having a girl and I feel like I want to I feel like I owe it to her to do something about the blatant discrimination that there is against working mothers. So by the time she decides if she would like children or not, she has a better choice than we do. Um, It's just something that I suppose I didn't think about until I got pregnant. And now I'm like, whoa, this is nuts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm also having a girl and I want her to see that mum works and mum works often and hard and independently and is and is self-employed my mum worked just as much as my dad worked you know she commuted even further than my dad did and that was the case um I had a a childminder from three till five for like my whole childhood not because my parents were wealthy but because they literally couldn't get home to me they they didn't have the 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 option to be at home because they needed to work um I mean this was back in the 90s so it wasn't you know expensive childcare or that kind of thing it was a friend of the family she was called Angela she was lovely she gave me Angela she she gave me 30p once a week to get some chocolate and every now and again I'd I'd convince her to give me 33p so I could get the good chocolate bars Sounds like you had Angela wrapped around your little finger, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I grew up with a mum who who worked full time, and 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 I I like that, and I want to give that impression to my own daughter. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we should bring in our guest to help us unpick what's going on here in the world. Um, 
So I am delighted to announce that Jolie Brearley is joining us today. She is the founder of the charity and campaigning group Pregnant Then Screwed, which she established in 2015 after her own experience of pregnancy discrimination. And in January this year, she took the government to court for indirect sex discrimination due to the way self-employed mothers were being financially penalised by the income support scheme. We are thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you, Jolie. You've been listening from the wings. Do you think our worries are concerns a lot of pregnant women have? I think your worries and concerns are in- incredibly valid and it is a- an incredibly complex picture when you have children to try and figure out how you safeguard your finances and make sure you don't screw yourself over because it's very easy to do and i was really interested with what grace was saying about being self-employed and going back to work four months after having the baby and lots of people have said you won't want to do that you won't want to do that and you're like well i've got to do that and actually that happens with self-employed women they go back to work really early because you have no other choice and because maternity pay is crap it's Mm, yeah if you if you're self-employed you only get 151 pounds a week maximum that's the maximum Mm going to get for nine months if you're employed you get more um and so there's research that shows that there are much higher rates of postnatal depression amongst the self-employed compared to the employed because you do that you're constantly worrying about work when you've had a baby you can't relax because you're trying to think about when where's my next money going to come from how long is it going to take me to build my business back up and you only have 10 days you can do 10 days of work while you're on maternity leave but that makes no sense if you're self-employed you can business with 10 days over nine months it's just complete nonsense um yeah so so these are very they're all very valid concerns and of course the majority of families finish their maternity leave and they're in debt because who mm-hmm. can survive on 151 pounds a week yeah but it can it's less than minimum wage and we have the third lowest maternity pay in europe and uh yeah so you so you end maternity leave in debt and then you think right okay i've got to make this money back and then you enter the workplace and you've got childcare costs which yeah. talked about so our childcare we have the second most expensive childcare system in the world in the uk your childcare costs are on average about 35 percent of your family's income if Oof. but if you're a single parent they're about 67 percent of your income but it's more than your mortgage double your mortgage on average and more than uh if you rent it's way more than that as well so you could have a separate house (laughs) okay and um so of course again you know when you're going back to work and if you've taken maternity leave if the mum's taken maternity leave what you tend to do is go okay my income if i go back to work would be x how much a childcare cost and for a third of women you would be paying to go to work or you would just break even and so that's the point that loads of women fall out of the workforce because they think well what on earth is the point of having a child going to work and paying for somebody else to look after it so pregnant then screwed was born from your own experience of pregnancy discrimination it's been six years since then do you think we as a nation have got very far in that time or have we still got a long way to go no, I am a really depressing person to have around. <laughs> Do not invite me over for dinner if you're about to have a baby. Um, 
so no, things have not got better. In So there was some research done by the government in 2016, which found that the number of women pushed out of their jobs for daring to procreate is 54,000 women a year. That's one in nine women who get pregnant will get forced out of their job. Wow. And 77% of working mums say they face some form of discrimination in the workplace. So three quarters of mothers are saying, I've experienced discrimination because I'm a mother. Those figures had almost doubled in 10 years. So between 2006 and 2016, the same research was done and the figures had almost doubled. So things were already rapidly deteriorating. Then, of course, we had this thing called coronavirus, which um, turned up. And as we pretty much all know now, that started to really ob obliterate women's careers and set gender equality back decades and the big problem there was that of course you had the kids at home and mm. that meant that for women their average working week you had another 31 hours of work to do a week because you had the kids to teach and the cleaning to do and all the cooking to do and all of that stuff and so again you know we're seeing that way more mothers are being forced out of their jobs than other types of employees and discrimination increased. So the number of pregnant women forced out of their jobs increased as redundancies were increasing. Mm. Uh, so we don't really know the statistics because that work, that bit of research hasn't been done again, but we know from anecdotal evidence as well as bits of data that have been collected here and there that things, things are sadly, sadly not getting better. <laughs> So when we look at that from a monetary perspective, and um, I suppose Grace and I come from two very good, different perspectives. So Grace, uh, self-employed, I'm employed. We had a conversation about, can I afford to go back to work? And actually the reason that we're going back to work is because we both have to go back to work to afford to live and live our lives and have the baby that we're having what are the realities of four days a week or time off affecting our pensions? What are the realities for women who are considering going back to work? The majority of women go back to work after having a baby once to go back part-time. So 40% uh, of women in the UK work part-time, which is really high if you look at the rest of, compare it to the rest of Europe. The, the problem with part-time work is it's not valued. We just don't... Mm in this country so on average you'll be paid five pound less per hour for part-time work than for full-time work because there aren't very many good part-time jobs good quality well-paid part-time jobs and you are more than twice as likely to be promoted if you work full-time than if you work part-time so once you go back to work part-time you end up on what is sometimes affectionately called the mummy track where you just head butting a brick wall constantly they're just you know you're left languishing in that job they don't bother yeah. you they don't bother investing in you and if you try and move to go somewhere else only 15 percent of jobs are advertised as flexible in any form so your pool of options reduces massively but also mm. kids at home you want to be closer to home in case they get sick and so that you can do the drop-offs and the pickups. So again, your pool of options reduces enormously. So part-time work is a big factor in the motherhood penalty. It's what really kills your careers. But the other thing I'd really look out for with a four-day working week, which is what lots of women opt for, is that you often, 
your employer will not reduce your workload. So you will go back, you'll do be doing exactly the same job as you were doing before. You've just now got to cram all that work into four days a week and you're going to get yeah. and you're going to start to lose your mind. So yeah. I've we hear from lots of women go back four days a week, start to lose their mind, their personal development reviews deteriorate. They say you're not doing a good job because you're trying to do all of this work in four days a week and being paid less. Um, and they end up saying, oh, I'll just go back full time. Yeah. I mean, it's a very good point about cramming four days work, five days work into four days. Grace, how do you think you'll navigate going back to work with the pressure? Because if I have the pressure of going back part time, then it's kind of like a set amount of money I know I'm always going to get. But you're putting yourself under pressure to go back because you need the contacts and you'll need you want to stay in the game. Do you, do you feel like you're in a, in a good place to be navigating that return to work? And is it something you want to do? Is it something you've discussed with other freelancers, how they've done it, why they've done it? And that kind I'm just kind of trying to weave in a freelance aspect into this conversation. Mm. I absolutely want to go back to work. And a, a part of that is because I love my job. Like I'm one of those annoying people who's like, oh, I really like my job. <laughs> um, so I absolutely want to go back for that reason. Um, and also my work is a big part of my identity. I can't imagine mm. not working. I can't, I can't, I, I've, I've always been like a career girl ever since I was like 15, 16. That's how people have seen me. Um, and I've worked so hard at my career for half my life that I can't imagine letting it slide or letting it drop now. But I think, I mean, my plan, as I said, is to go back one day a week and then to build that up to two days, three days, four days, five days over mm. months or years. But the problem with that is being self-employed with being self-employed is that the, the feast or famine issue that we have where, I mean, when I came back to work in March, my plan was to ease myself back into it. And then I got a call from somebody with a month's full-time work and I had to say yes because I, I mean I wasn't well enough to do it and I didn't really have like the mental capacity or that I wasn't I wasn't physically well enough but I did it anyway because I thought well I don't know when I'm gonna get a month's good salary coming to me again so I better take it so I am very aware that I have this idealistic I mean it is idealistic perspective that I'll do you know one day and then after a few months I'll do two days and but I know that it's not going to work out like that I think what's important for me is that I just have to kind of keep that as a guide in my head and to just maybe just go a little bit easy on myself, which is not going to be easy because there's nobody harder on me than I am. But I do think that I need to just kind of prioritise my own health and my baby's development and health when she arrives. And then kind of I need to just put work aside. And if I need to go into debt or borrow money off family or friends or use my credit card or whatever, then I'm going to have to do that. And if there's ever a time in my life when I can afford to do that, it, it's, it is having yeah. a baby. So I really need to remember that. It just feels so criminal that the three of us are sat here listening to you say, if I have to go into debt, then so be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's criminal. You know, we shouldn't be having these conversations. Jolie, is there anything you think we could do? Or uh, women who are listening to this, you know, again, Grace and I are in a privileged position of being in a couple, not together, but... I was like, are we? <laughs> we have partners so it's the we, same we daughter have... that we're having <laughs> one child um we we have partners so I suppose that takes a little bit of the pressure off 
in terms of of that um but again you know the inequality of that relationship is something we can't get into on this podcast because I get into it pretty much every time I talk to women um but how can we safeguard our future um I mean the first thing to say is you could Phyllis probably take shared parental leave you could split that leave with your partner theoretically and I know that actually the finances probably don't stack up if you do do that yeah but you could whereas you can't because of the there are about a quarter of families I think actually it's more than that who can't use shared parental leave because you can't use it if you're self-employed it's really complex shared parental leave it would take the whole podcast for me to explain it and I'd still probably get it wrong but um that it is available if you are both employed Mm. and and above a certain threshold and I would absolutely encourage couples to use it because the all of the research shows that if dads take time out in those early days to care for their children without you around that that really starts to close the care gap over the period of your relationship the the father will spend more time with their child caring for them they'll do more of the housework they'll do more of the unpaid labor you're also 40 percent more likely to stay together as a couple isn't that crazy it's, it must be about the appreciation of of the manual manual labor domestic labor that women take on <laughs> so the manual yeah. labor just digging a hole outside you know me 36 weeks pregnant <laughs> but yeah it, it, it must be that because, and you know, one of the reasons why I set up Pregnant and Screwed and feel so passionately about it is because I come from a very traditional family where my dad, from the second I was born, was out working and would work really late. He was never around and ran a successful business. And my mum was at home all the time with me. And they just completely grew apart. They didn't understand each other. He didn't understand the stresses and strains of her life. He didn't really have a relationship with us like she did. She didn't understand him and what he was going through in his life. And they just completely grew apart. So I think there's so many benefits to really truly sharing that unpaid labor and that care but also the burden of bringing home the income because actually many dads aren't happy with this setup you know they want to spend more time with their kids we know 85 percent of dads are desperate to spend more time with their children but they can't because they've got this massive pressure of going out and bringing home the bacon Mm. they can keep a roof over your heads and so yeah, it makes sense for it to be really split and really shared. Probably. Yeah, my, my my husband and I have been, I mean, we've known each other since we were teenagers, like 15 years ago, um, but we've been together now for, I think, about nine years. And, and our whole relationship, people have said when we talk about having babies, they're like, oh yeah, how did your husband feel about that? And I'm like, he would have had them literally five or six years ago if it would have been up to him. Like he is such... He loves babies, loves kids. He would have had, he would have six if it wasn't down to me who said absolutely no way. Um, and and I'm so glad that we've actually brought up the men and, and the husbands or the boyfriends or, or the female partners in this because I just think 
they don't get any attention and we don't talk enough about what they need from fatherhood and mm. from having children. Um, and I, I know for a fact that my husband will play a big part in what happens to my career because there's a chance that he will be the person that looks after, that, that he's the one that gives up his job and his work for a year or three years or however long it takes in order for me to go back to work because he knows how passionate I am about my job and how I actually enjoy it and how I, you know, I write certain things because I want to share people's stories or I want to like see that thing represented in the media. And he sees that passion and he always has. And I know that when the baby arrives, he will want to support that as much as he can. And I do think that that we kind of do need to acknowledge the men who are like that, or as I say, the female mm. partners who are like that, because they do exist. And I think that they don't really get any support or, or understanding that, you know, they, they want to be at home with the baby too. Like my husband wants to see our daughter grow up, absolutely. And he yeah. doesn't want to be the kind of person who comes home at nine o'clock and I say, oh, she crawled today, but you missed it. I guess you might see it on Sunday when you've got, when you've got your first day off in yeah. a week. I wonder there must be something in this first of all I think that's absolutely brilliant um the shared parental leave thing is actually so few men are taking it up or partners are taking it up exactly like Jolie said because the assumption that women earn less than men is fair and actually you do end up financially taking a hit if Aaron were to take if we were to do shared parental leave which is something we discussed and we've decided not to do it the the budgets wouldn't add up at the end of the month mm. so and also the other thing to acknowledge is it's so complicated again like Jolie said it would take a whole hour for her to try and explain to us how it works that doesn't make it conducive to everyone suddenly taking shared parental leave and making women's lives easier you know you have to have a PhD in understanding government lingo to to go for it I know lawyers who can't explain shared parental leave it's that complicated and it's needlessly complicated what we hear is that men their HR department they say I really want to take shared parental leave and their HR department go no idea how that works mate Mm. so and they don't encourage it as a result because so it's needlessly complicated so many couples are ineligible for it but also it doesn't tackle the gender stereotypes that exist and we know that there is an enormous assumption that it is women that will do that caring role and everything tells us you should be the one that Mm. takes time off and looks after the baby and so when men go to their employer and say I want to take time out to care for my own offspring (laughs) not committed their job and so they they face really severe discrimination in the workplace often far worse than women do because it's seen as absolutely crackers why on earth would you as a man spend <laughs> time with your own children and <clears throat> so we know that if men ask for flexible working for example after they have kids they're far more likely to be rejected than women are so there's yeah. all gender stereotypes and shared parental leave doesn't challenge those stereotypes because it really shared parental leave is shared maternity leave you need to create proper paternity leave that is ring-fenced and that is for dads to use and it's paid properly. And mm. that starts to challenge to tackle the issues. Also, when we talk about this, I feel like the need to, to bring up the fact that I constantly, it's something of a joke, but it's not really a joke, is that if I have to look after our daughter for the first nine months while she's growing, if we're going by logic, surely the man then needs to take over for the next nine months. And when, <laughs> when the baby arrives, 
he does the first nine months of care. If we're going by logic here, then that that's what would actually be fair. Hey, Not that a woman has to do everything. Biologically, we're a bit screwed there, aren't we? Because <laughs> I'm afraid men's nipples are useless. It's it's a true fact. Out um, here, because I always lots of people do talk about but breastfeeding, and yes, obviously there is breastfeeding, and we can't give that job to men very well. But in America, one in four women go back to work after 10 days. One in four after 10 days because they have no statutory paid maternity leave or right to maternity leave at all. And yet their rates of breastfeeding are far higher than they are in the UK. No way. How yeah. did they tackle that? Was, I mean, I I don't really know. I couldn't tell you for certain, but obviously they get really into pumping and... yeah and do that at work and they have lots more they seem to have lots more kind of rules and regulations around pumping at work than we do and are much more yeah. comfortable talking about it I think than we do and uh, but we have really really lowest rates of breastfeeding in the world it certainly was a couple of years ago yeah. um, so there is you know it's it's not just about maternity leave and breastfeeding there are ways mm. I'm almost scared to say this because um, I know that some people uh, feel very passionately about the topic of breastfeeding and and, and the pros and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Um, I've, from the very start of getting pregnant, said that I want to look into combination feeding if that is an option. Yeah. Um, and I can feel women biting their tongue when I say it and wanting to go, oh, no, you're supposed to breastfeed. And, and I have to try and be honest here on behalf of other women who are listening considering combination feeding is is a big a big part of that is to do with my job because I, I need to be able to go back to work and and I, I and, and whether that's pumping or you know whatever that that ends up being um or using bottles or kind of me doing some and then my husband doing some using a bottle um that a big part of that is because of my job and my earnings and and if I do need to go back in in January I want them to be adjusted to just having my husband in the bottle for you know one day a week when that happens or two days a week if I'm going off to university in York as my university where, where the, the university that I currently teach at is all the way over in York which is an hour that way and an hour back can't take the baby with me um and I think that if were it not for money and were it not for my career I do think I would be much bigger on breastfeeding and I'd be like, no, why would I, why would I do the alternative? But honestly, I don't see it as an option. I think that she's going to have to adjust to, to feeding from the bottle and feeding with my husband a lot sooner than, than I would have ideally liked if I'd have been super rich and, you know, could take three years off work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
so we've kind of tackled the immediate, oh God, I'm pregnant. I've got to take some time off because I'm about to have a baby. And also what do we do when we go back? Jolie, I just wanted to touch a little bit on women who decide to go back part-time because you mentioned a really nice stat earlier about the percentage of women who have babies and then go back part-time afterwards. Do you think there is a long-term implication for women who go back part-time financially other than the obvious? I'm kind of thinking about pensions and other things that people may not have considered. Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. You are not contributing to your pension as you would be if you were working full time. And so we know that on average, a woman's pension pot is £100,000 less than a man's and that more women live in poverty when they're older compared to men. And wow. the reason for that really is caring responsibilities and because women are doing the majority of the unpaid labour. So they can they do less of the paid labour. So it all comes back to really you know, we can, we're never going to have equality in the workplace until we have equality in the home. What we should be really fighting for as women, as feminists, is to have a proper equal share of what happens in the home. 60% of the unpaid labour is done by women. And the major, women do about three times the amount of caring than mm. men do. And what we forget to talk about as well is that mental labor that women do. It's It tends to be the women who do yeah. the, have the emotional conversations with their children, who know children's friends' names, who know the names of the teachers, who, if you need a new car seat, they notice that you need a new car seat and they start planning what sort of car seat it is that we need and they start doing the research and then enters the other partner at the stage where you go right I'm ready to buy the car seat then they go okay well I think you should buy that one not that one and feel like they've done their fair share of the mental load but actually we are absorbing so much information and translating information constantly when you become a mother and it's it that that takes up a big chunk of your brain power which means you less time on your paid paid work thinking about stuff so i mean yeah balancing that work in the home is absolutely the critical critical thing to get right in order to ensure and safeguard your finance long-term finances so Jolie, in your book, there is a stat that has really, really stuck with me, um, which says by the time a woman's first child is 12 years old, her hourly pay rate is 33% behind a man's. Um, and that's come from Pregnant Then Screwed, but the Institute for Fiscal Studies. How can we stop this now, please? Um, because I that is mind boggling and I can't believe it's taken me to get pregnant to read this and and want to do something about it that's my bad I need to learn something about myself from that but we this needs to stop this cannot happen I think it's really natural that it takes for you getting pregnant to notice this I think that's the same for everybody you know I don't think women before they have babies notice this inequality at all and lots and don't notice this inequality obviously it's a complex picture it's a really complicated thing i mean essentially the majority of the gender pay gap is caused by motherhood you know the gender pay gap isn't really so much about gender at all it's actually mostly a procreation gap you know it's about having the kids 
The government, first, firstly, I mean, what we really need is legislative change. We need to really care about this and to step in and do stuff, to be prepared to experiment, to be prepared to be radical, to be prepared to spend some money on stuff that will really make a difference to gender equality. And unfortunately, at the moment, we're not seeing any signs of that from the government at all. And the it's ridiculous because actually we don't need to be that experimental or radical because Scandinavia has led the way. They've done loads of stuff and we can see works so all we need to do is just copy a load of things that they've done and the critical thing is affordable good quality childcare that is childcare is a means of freedom for women not having an expensive childcare system is is a way of oppressing women it keeps us in our homes it stops us from being able to work it stops us from being able to earn our own income it's like the anti-feminist action of our government um so childcare is absolutely critical then uh paternity leave as we've talked about and really good laws around flexible working so that we have better quality flexible working and so that um we're not expected to work really really long hours which we do in the uk Jolie, if the um self-employment maternity um uh, allowance. I think you said it was like £151 um, a week. If that was to be increased, do you think that would make a difference? And, and what kind of impact, like real life impact, do you think that would make? Yeah, I do think it, we would like to see that absolutely increased because because lots of women go back to work too early as a result. And if you go back to work before you're ready, you're more likely to either not perform in your job or fall out of the workforce because you'll just give up after a few months and think this just isn't working and I need to do something else because you know postnatal depression can kick in and you'll have all sorts of other problems. So um, all the research shows that if maternity leave is paid properly and you have a long enough period, you'll then you'll go back to work when you're ready and you'll be happier in your job as a result, which is why companies offer enhanced maternity pay mm. because they know mm. this research. They know that if they give it, they'll have better employees because they'll come back when they're ready. And so, yeah, maternity pay is, is critical. There's lots of little tweaks and things that our government need to do right now. I mean, there's loads of them that they could implement. One thing we're really fighting for at the moment is um, enhanced protection from redundancy. So uh, there is only enhanced protection from redundancy when you're on maternity leave. You don't have it when you're pregnant. You don't have it when you return. So the employers feel able to shove you out of your job when the day you come back from maternity leave or while you're pregnant because you just there's no enhanced protection for you at all which makes no sense um so anyway those are the sorts of big things we want to see from the government it's about paternity leave it's about childcare in those first instances in terms of what you can do as an individual there's absolutely tons so firstly read know your subject because you will when you speak to people about this they will be thinking you've had a child your responsibility you pay for it so what it's affected your career that's a choice that you made. and you need to be ready to have the response the right responses to that so that they understand that it's this is about um this is about a community working together you know you've had a child yes they're your responsibility of course but it makes no sense for the whole of the uk if women are educated to a certain level and then they have to leave the workforce 
just to raise the next generation. And that next generation are going to pay your pensions and wipe your bum when you're in an old people's home. So you, we need people having children. So read a lot and have those conversations with family and friends. Broach those conversations because you'll be absolutely astounded by the things that they believe that aren't true. And we need to be tackling and challenging those preconceptions about women's role in society as much as possible. It's so interesting that you just brought up this idea of we get women to a certain level of, of, of education and qualification and then it stops there. It's literally just dawned on me that about two years ago, I said to my husband, right, PhD or baby, which one shall I do? And there was never any scenario where I could have done both at the same time. And it was I, and it was kind of like, well, I'm going to have to do the baby first because of this clock that's over our heads that we now all understand is not the clock that we thought it was. But isn't that so insane that I got to 28, 29 and said, well, it's one or the other. I get to further my education and my, and my academic and my academia, as it were, or have a child. And I had to pick the child. And men don't have to think like that. No. It's women that have to think like that. You know, in Sweden, they have a saying, which is, we don't want the most educated housewives in the world. Oh, nice. What's the point of ed spending all mm -hmm. this money on educating you and getting you really excited about careers and giving you careers advice and then <laughs> creating a system where you just have to go back to the kitchen sink once you've had a baby? It makes no sense economically at all. Um. Other things that you can do, I mean, you model good behavior in your household, share that unpaid labor and show your children that it is shared. Have, if you have sons, have conversation with, conversations with your sons about what sort of father they want to be. We don't have those conversations with them. We don't talk to them about fatherhood. So they just think that that's not something they need to think about. It's really hard, I have two boys. And I constantly try and make them think about gender issues and try and stop them saying things that are really sexist. It's not easy. It's really yeah. difficult, really <laughs> difficult. And um, they look at you like you're mental because, of course, they go to <laughs> constantly surrounded by these very these gender stereotypes everywhere they, they go. So it's really difficult, but do try and broach those conversations with boys as much as possible and get them doing stuff like cleaning the loo and, you know, tidying and show them what it means to be a good man. Um, Before we knew what gender we were having, I had such grand plans for making the most feminist little boy that has <laughs> ever, ever existed. I, I could have like written reams and reams of like notes and like letters to myself in the future for like, this is how to make a feminist son. This is the little details that you need to teach him along the way. Um, so maybe down the line, I'll, I'll come back to that. Down yeah, the line. although I have a series very different to the practice. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It's really not easy. I had an incident the other week where my son came home and he was really upset and he said some boys have been picking on him because of the trousers he was wearing he was wearing jogging bottoms and they said oh they were going oh you've got girly tracksuit bottoms on your tracksuit bottoms are so girly and he was really upset about it and and I said but what's wrong with girly tracks there's nothing wrong with girly tracksuit bottoms and you just gave me this look as if to say mum 
for fuck's sake. Yeah. I just want some butter tracksuit bottoms to make me look yeah. I'm not I'm not here to take on the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> like leave give me a break and just tracksuit bottoms that look like boys' tracksuit bottoms. Um yeah, so it's it's challenging. And then that makes you realise that actually we can do all we want with our sons and our little boys and it's great to do it. But really, that's not going to do anything until we deal with with it higher up and deal with the idea in society as a whole that it doesn't matter what men wear on their lower half. It doesn't actually make a difference. It, it, it's We can't then put the responsibility onto the kids, I guess. Like we can educate them and do exactly what you've done, but we need to look elsewhere in, in fixing that and, and teaching people that, you know, about gendered clothing and and. And, and the fact that boys can should be able to wear whatever they want on their bottoms without it being, you know, something to make fun of. Also, how were these, uh, what defined these tracksuit bottoms to be girly? I mean, to be fair, I am a cheapskate. And so they were too tight for him because they were like, oh, <laughs> four year old, I think, and he's six. So he was like busting out of them. They look like tights. And uh, they were like a light colour rather than a dark colour. And I mean, oh, it's that age as well, isn't it? If you don't have the right trainers, everyone's <laughs> gonna say your trainers are from Asda and they're not Nike. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly it. But it is really difficult when you're six. You can't expect them to challenge those stereotypes. Exactly. They're too young. Yeah. Um. Uh. You. I mean, everybody has a power. Has power and they have a platform and you absolutely should be using it. So to, again, talking about these issues on those on that platform, demanding changes on that platform, engaging with other people who have different opinions on this and aren't, don't have the data and the understanding because it's complex. You know, having those conversations on that platform is really, really important. Uh, vote, hey, and make sure you are demanding of the party that you vote for that they are spending money on these issues that those issues are contained in their manifesto um you know the women's equality party i'm not saying to vote for the women's equality party but of course this is fundamental to what they stand for and so other parties can copy those manifestos uh from the women's equality party so yeah, make sure you're using your voting power. Make sure you get to know your MP. Talk to your MP about these issues and ask them to represent those in Westminster. Challenge sexist comments from people and friends that you hear and, you know, make them think about what they're saying. That's really, really important. Um, and donate to organisations that are trying to make these changes happen and because we need resources to be able to challenge the status quo. Um, if you work in an organisation, then try and set up a women's group, a, a group of other women employees, and talk about the things that in the workplace that aren't working for you as a woman, because it's much easier to challenge your employer and get them to change behaviours if you're doing that en masse rather than doing it as an individual. But also know your legal rights with discrimination. Get to know what is right, what is wrong, what your legal rights are. You can do that by reading the book. Pregnant, you know, my book details out some of the basic um, legal rights you have. 
Also, if you feel you're facing discrimination, contact our helpline, Pregnant Less Grease Helpline, and we'll talk you through what your legal rights are. But once you know your legal rights, you'll feel confident and empowered to challenge an employer when they breach those legal rights and instill that same confidence in, in colleagues as well so that they feel confident challenging employees. Because we're only really going to change this if we, sadly, if women start to challenge it and tackle it. It's very difficult to do but you won't be able to do that without knowing what your legal rights are. Grace, wasn't that so good? Like, I have got so many ideas of things I want to be doing now. Um, And I suppose the conversation is wider than just money and it's wider than, you know, we've both been to the shops. What a privilege that has been in the last two weeks. Um, And we're spending loads of money. Actually, it's about our future and our children's future and equality. And it all comes back to being good intersectional feminists and making sure that we're fighting for this, I think. Uh, it's a much bigger topic of conversation I thought than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. But um, I think my key takeaway is going to be, um, we're never going to have equality in the workplace until we have equality at home. For me, I just kind of want to embrace being a little bit more aware. And I want to actually use that awareness to start making little changes and making prep now, you know, reading things, even though I would rather consume them on Netflix, I will try and read things (laughs) as as well. Um, And just kind of put things in place before the baby arrives or in the early years so that when it does come to nursery or that kind of thing, I know what's what's happening. Um, I don't want this to to come across negative, what we've talked about to, to listeners. I want it to be more empowering and more like, right, now we know what the issue is. Let's actually do something about it rather than feeling defeated by it. Yeah, definitely. And as someone who has a freelance career, um, how are you feeling about money um, after our chat with Jolie? Are you feeling a little bit more like you're empowered with the information that will help you make the right decisions? Um, I think with the money side of things, I think I just need, I think what I need is a plan. And I need to be, I need two things. I need a plan and then I need awareness that I might not be able to stick to the plan. And I think the second thing is actually just as important as the first. And I don't think I realised that quite so much before. Um, And that's kind of come from this entire conversation and just kind of having like an hour dedicated to thinking about this, that... I can plan to go back in January and and work my way up and, you know, goodness knows how I'll ever get trouble writing back into my career again. But I can start to think about those things now, but actually also just be a little bit more, um, just be a little bit softer on myself a little bit and and actually make an effort to realise that this is a really difficult time and it's actually even harder than we realise that it is. Um, So maybe just kind of giving ourselves a bit of a break um, in, in what's happening in the future. We can prepare but we also need to be, we all need to be willing to kind of let that go to shit a little bit if needs be. I think that might be the motto for parenting. <laughs> yeah. Just in general, you can prepare for anything, but it might go to shit yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. Well, that's all for this episode of Baby on the Brain. A special thank you to my co-host Grace and our guest Jolie. I'm going to curl up tonight on the sofa with my copy of Pregnant Then Screwed and I cannot wait. You can tweet us at Stylist Magazine, find us on Instagram and use the hashtag StylistBabyOnTheBrain. 
Next week, we're joined by couples Sarah and Laura who have a gorgeous daughter and another baby on the way. And they will be helping me co-host an interview with our guest, Sarah Jane Crawford, to discuss all things feminism. You'll have to tune in next week to find out how that goes. Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review on the App Store. 